Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Today, we hosted the Mayor's Town Hall with Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger. Also, the Canadian government has introduced a Notice of Ways and Means motion to help protect Canada's steelmakers and to ensure that the country can respond quickly to changes in the steel market. The Bill Kelly Podcast starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. It's uh, the Mayor's Town Hall. Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger is with us here in studio. Mr. Mayor, good morning. Good to see you again. Yeah, good to, good to see you as well. This is a busy week. Uh, you're going to be up at Hamilton Golf and Country Club later on. The Open is underway. Yeah, we've, we have the Italian Business Awards tonight. Uh, and then uh, for the rest of the week, it's practice time at the uh, uh, Hamilton Golf Country Club. And then on the weekend, uh, the big Canadian Open starts. It's the, uh, the first time it's, or, or actually the second time it's been here in recent years. And third, third, uh, it's third their 110th time, anniversary. Third time, third actually. time, third time, and uh, and we have a five year agreement with uh, Golf Canada, who uh, who actually puts on the Canadian Open, and so uh, we anticipate in the next uh, three or two or three years that they'll be back again. They, lo- and, they uh, like this course, don't they? They love the course. I think they love the uh, they love the community, the participation that they see. Uh, we've uh, we've added some new innovations to the uh, the whole Canadian Open, which is the fairway, which is the, uh, the some eight or nine uh, restaurants, uh, some of our premier restaurants coming in, providing uh, quality food service and uh, and some concerts. Uh, so so some musical venues. Uh, I, I I can't remember the band that's coming in, country and western band. Uh, apparently renowned, you know. Florida, Georgia, line. line. Okay, <coughs> Florida, Georgia lines coming in, and, and and another innovation in terms of the Canadian Open, bringing music and uh, and other entertainment to the whole process. So it's going to be a great event. Lots of quality golfers are going to be there, and uh, about one hundred and twenty thousand people are expected to go in through the. Uh, we uh, were reminiscing the about this. Uh, the <coughs> excuse me, earlier in the week. <clears throat> and uh, the 2003, the first time, well, it was not the first time. Was, yeah, the first time was way back about 100 years ago. But yep. uh, and, and it was great that we got it in those days. But, I mean, it was like, well, that's not much to do here. There's only one hotel, really. So a lot of people stayed in Mississauga and places like that. Uh, this is a different city now. I mean, we've got hotel space. We've got this is it's become a festival now, not just a golf tournament. Yeah, it's a festival. It's an event. Uh, we we are now poised uh, in m- many more ways to provide uh, opportunity for these major events to come to Hamilton. Uh, the hotel spaces increased significantly. Uh, you know, when you and I were counselors together, that was the the issue for economic development was we can't get. The major events because we don't have the hotel space, and uh, you know, getting to these other hotels uh, further, further afield was uh, you know too challenging for event organizers to to be part of. We have all of that capacity now, and we're seeing the results. Uh, you know, the uh, the Junos have been here on a regular basis. The Country Music Awards have been here on a regular basis. Uh, they love the vibe in Hamilton. Uh, you know, we're. We're seen to be that cool place to be just outside of Toronto, and uh, it's it's attracting a lot of attention and a lot of great events. And I think to the benefit of uh, all the volunteers and the participants that are going to help make this happen, we're going to be able to showcase Hamilton uh, again as a you know a leading and uh, and viable. A dynamic, active, culturally diverse city in the in the in the country. It's interesting too uh, when I was talking with uh, the folks at uh, Economic Development and Tourism Hamilton, for that matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's a real uptick uh, in, in 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 well, it's it's a revenue generator for the city. I mean, people come here, they stay. Uh, the golfers, but and, and you think of those obviously, but the 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 whole thing from the Canadian Professional Golf Association, the CPGA, those members, and all the people that are organizing the, this event and everything, they're all staying here in town. That's so space, they're eating in restaurants downtown, uh, and that's another element that we didn't have in 2003, the first time we had the Open here in this century anyway, uh, is uh, th- th- downtown's a pretty cool place to be. I mean, you know, King William Street is like Restaurant Row right now. Yep. 
and so many other great places down there too. So, so you know, pick a spot, uh, James on Lock Street, uh, King William, uh, even on the mountain. We're seeing now a you know a collection of restaurants starting to pop up, and uh, they're all unique and different, and uh, you know different different flavors and different cultures. Uh, there's no shortage of places for people to get entertainment, and you know what? And 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 I think the restaurant kind of world has hit the sweet spot. So they've uh, you know we've got millennials that are not terribly interested in cooking. Uh, you know, have a different idea about how they want to conduct their lives. And we have us, uh, you know, aging, uh, you know, baby boomers that uh, maybe are a little tired of it, maybe are empty nesters and, you know, are more often and more frequently going out for dinner or, I, I don't or, mind or ordering it's, in. It's doing the dishes that bothers that's me. Our, right? That's right. So so we're doing skip the dishes and, uh, you know, ordering <laughs> in. And so that, that confluence of uh, dynamics and those two demographics, I think, is really making the restaurant scene, uh, you know, blossom. And high end to middle end to uh, you know fast foods uh, it is all all blossoming uh, pretty significantly and it's you know it's a great asset for the city quite frankly. Uh, a lot of stuff going on today I know there's a, a, a big meeting that'll be happening in just a little while here uh, to do with a number of issues including uh, some of the uh, the cannabis uh, operations that are going on mm-hmm. uh, and there's some concerns I know we talked with Councillor Brad Clark and I know there's a motion coming forward about odor and uh, some business, I guess, are kind of doing an end run around the existing legislation, and I'm sure you guys are going to tie that up. Right. Uh, the thing, though, that I guess we have to keep in mind is as this, this industry starts to, to grow, and it is growing right across the country, Hamilton seems to be in a, in a pretty cool spot right now. I mean, we seem to be the focus of an awful lot of attention. The industry seems to like this area for some reason. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I mean the agricultural community is still pretty strong in uh, in the city of Hamilton, as it might be in in all of uh, the Golden Horseshoe, Niagara. Not so much though in Oakville or Burlington or or Mississauga. So, I think they're seeing Hamilton as uh, you know a good good location for. Uh, the growth of uh, the cannabis product. Uh, it is uh, now a legal industry, and so they're looking for places where they can actually operate uh, and, and provide that product. I, I, I was fascinated to hear that uh, the two legal operations that were are now operating in Hamilton have to uh, reduce their hours because the supply for them isn't there. The legal supply isn't there, so I, I suspect that uh, some of the illegal operators, uh, you know, that are still going door to door or whatever they're doing, are some, probably still out there making up the difference. But the reality is that this is a, a you know a, a new growth industry. Uh, there is going to be you know hiccups along the way in terms of policy issues that we're going to have to sort out. People that are uh, end running the process, uh, we now have uh, pop up cannabis locations, uh, you know, trying to get in and get out before anybody notices that they're there, or we have people selling out of vans. I mean, there's all kinds of things going on out there. I think in time, the industry will uh, will, will settle in and, uh, and, and regulations will catch up. And uh, hopefully it'll end up being uh, no different than, uh, you know, way, the way alcohol is distributed throughout our community. And and I mean, and that's another point of debate, I suppose, is, uh, you know, one of the, when, when we talk about, uh, you know, problem substances, uh, alcohol is still at the top of the list in terms of issues uh, with alcohol, uh, domestic issues, uh, you know, alcoholism, uh, people dying from it. And so, uh, you know, I ha- as, as they're trying to open up the, uh, the consumption or the sale of, uh, you know, I think it's a, a little counterintuitive to kind of what the significant problem is out there. But in, anyway, in any event, all these substances are, are going to be regulated. 
it, and I'm sure in time the cannabis issues will be uh, much smoother than it, than it is today. Anyway, let's. Uh, there's a lot of stuff I want to talk about there too, and yep. we've got a number of issues that I want to talk about about some provincial legislation that's going to have an impact on this area. But we also want to get to your phone calls and your emails and your tweets. Nine zero five six four five three two two one start nine nine hundred. Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger is here. This is the Bill Kelly Show in the Mayor's Town Hall here on nine hundred CHML. Let's go right to your phone calls and your questions for the mayor. Uh, Larry, you're going to start things off today. How are you doing this morning, Larry? Very well, thank you. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, in, with plastics being in the media and uh, concern for our landfills and uh, locally, mm-hmm. um, is there anything that our city, number one, and maybe the mayor's association, number two, mm-hmm. uh, can do to encourage our food suppliers to use more environmentally uh, products than the plastics that food is uh, supplied in now. Thank you. Uh, thank you for that question, Larry. And, you know, plastics is a very important issue. And I would say from where we sit uh, as mayors, uh, we have, you know, no regulations uh, to, at our disposal that uh, would prevent producers from, uh, from producing plastic uh, wrappings and plastic bottles and all the things that come in plastic today. I am I'm heartened by, and I hope that the province follows through on this, that uh, producers of, of products are going to be required to look after that product from cradle to grave. In other words, if you're, if you're constructing a product, you're going to get it back at some point. So think about how you're producing that. And hopefully that will, uh, will stem the tide of the, the kind of you know, I think wasteful, you know, plastics that are being used in packaging and in consumption of goods, uh, you know, all, all across the board. In terms of the city itself, we've, uh, we actually passed uh, some regulations about not providing uh, plastic, plastic containers and plastic uh, uh, utilities in our rec centers and in our, our other facilities. That's something that we can do. And we're doing everything humanly possible to discourage people from buying uh, bottled water. And so we have had an active campaign going on to uh, remind people that a reusable container, and we provide reusable containers as a demonstration project, uh, costs you one cent to fill up. Uh, You know, quality Hamilton water that we spend a lot of money treating and and making sure is uh, is top-notch costs you one penny. Uh, to fill up a reusable container, and so uh, don't bother buying the plastic, uh, you know, bottles at two fifty, two dollars and fifty cents with water that you're not sure where it came from. Use, uh, you know, use Hamilton uh, Hamilton water and use reusable containers. So we're, we've got a number of programs that are actually encouraging people to not use the uh, uh, unreusable plastics. Okay, so what I hear then is that uh, commercially, it's up to the province. Then yes. Yeah, exactly. We, you know, we want to, I mean, I, I think the, the right thing for them to do is to require producers of, of, uh, of products to get those products back. And then that would encourage them to think of different ways of how they're going to package these products because they're going to have to be responsible for the disposal of. And, you know, we, we don't want it in our landfills. We don't want it in our oceans and lakes. Uh, I think it's time to get past the, you know, the, the kinds of products that we u- are used to consuming. And, uh, you know, we should be encouraging people to think about how they're buying these products and, you know, what kind of packaging is involved, what kind of uh, damage is going to be created because you've, you've decided to, uh, to take on that, uh, you know, case of water bottles or that, uh, that case of, uh, you know, products that are come in plastic containers. Uh, the more that we can avoid that, the better off our environment can be. But uh, until such time as we get some strong provincial regulations on this, uh, it's going to be very difficult for municipalities to deal with. 
Okay, thank you. Thank you. Great call. I, I think we're getting a little smarter about this, too, as we get educational. There was a, uh, a, a study done, Global TV News did this a couple of weeks ago, about uh, the stuff that we think we're recycling that doesn't get recycled. Mm-hmm. And and plastic is one of these things. I mean, the the black plastic, for instance, for carryout right. uh, food items, you know, hot food, et cetera, like this, uh, apparently is not recyclable. And who knew that? I mean, we were throwing that in the blue bins for the longest time. Mm-hmm. And, and to their credit, uh, I mean, Wendy's restaurants, for instance, have seen that, and they changed now. Uh, where they use clear plastic all the way through, so it's recyclable. So uh, there's there's got to be some responsibility from the industry itself to say, okay, we can do a better job on this. And some of them are online, but you're right. Sometimes legislation just has to be there. Exactly. I mean, I, until they're required to do it, uh, you know, they'll find you know cost effective ways of getting through that. And you know, cost we know is a, is often a prime driver. I think we are now at a point where the uh, consumer is uh, uh, knowledgeable enough that they can make different choices. And if if uh, what, what, what was the uh, fast food provider you were Oh, Wendy's. About? Wendy's. So if Wendy's, uh, you know, is, is one that's that's providing, uh, you know, containers that are recyclable or maybe, uh, you know, uh, ones that are uh, paper-based or there's a kind of a cardboardy starchy one that, uh, that breaks down pretty nicely, then people are going to make choices about where they go when consuming these products. And I think that's a good thing. So if I were an industry out there, I, I'd be looking at setting the highest environmental standard because that's what people are attracted to. They might like the food, but they might also like the benefit of making sure that they're not providing or adding to our waste problem. And so uh, the more of that we uh, get from uh, from industry, the better off we'll be. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, regulations will uh, that will require people to, uh, to, to provide uh, different kind of packaging is going to have to happen if we're going to get on top of this problem. Uh, email bkelly at 900chml.com. Uh, Sarah writes in, uh, as host of the Canadian Open this year, how much money has the city council estimated is going to come into the city's economy uh, from hosting this event, and will there be added security measures in some areas to make sure that everyone is safe? Yeah, there's. Uh, thank you for that question. I mean, there's a heightened uh, sense of security for sure. I think uh, police are obviously part of uh, part of the whole process, uh, whether they're on duty or off duty. So there's a there's a, sp- a specific focus certainly at the event itself, but there's always uh, a heightened sense of security required when we bring in you know that many more people into our community. So uh, they're they're on alert and uh, and they'll they'll certainly boost boost up the security issues. In terms of the dollars coming back, I, the number that jumps out at me uh, right now is thirty to $50 million of kind of blowback into the community. So hotels, restaurants, clothing shops, people tend to, when they come from out of town, they tend to shop. So a lot of the clothing stores and other places would get some benefit from that. So that, that's the number that jumps out at me. Don't quote me on that one, but I can, if, if you really want a specific number, uh, call the office and I'll, uh, I'll dig it up. I'm, uh, the, it's in one of the reports, uh, but the number that jumps out to me is uh, somewhere it, it between It is significant though, whatever the number it's is. It's significant. Yeah, it's many millions. And to the benefit of, and we, we make these investments to, to the benefit of the broader community so that businesses can thrive and prosper. They employ people. I mean, there's a whole spill-off economic effect that takes place that uh, I think is worthwhile. Uh, and and uh, to your point about security, I mean, well, I noticed that yesterday going home up on golf links. I mean, the, the police are already out there. Yeah. Uh, some of those are off-duty. They're special duty officers, but that's all included in the paid, cost. Paid by, by the event itself. Yeah, yeah for exactly. sure. Exactly. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. It's the Mayor's Town Hall. Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger is with us here in studio. I uh, want to get right back because a lot of folks have been waiting patiently on the line, so let's uh, get John going here. John, welcome to the program. Go ahead for the mayor. How are you doing, Mayor? I'm good. How are you? Uh, you're really promoting the city for golf and everything else, but we know what's coming up as a nice amateur sports mm-hmm. event. We don't have no facilities. Uh, we could 
get facilities. We got a nice soccer team. We got the honey badgers nowhere to play. We got don't have a lot of center. And what's coming up is the Commonwealth Games. Mm-hmm. You remember them? Mm-hmm. Back in 2010, we put a bid in, and we should have got it. Right. We got to bring it back. And even though you're going to talk about money, how much it costs, and everything else, right. if the community gets behind it and everybody gets behind it, we should have our facilities for Hamilton for a change and make our amateur sports grow. Thank you. Thank you, John. Well, you know, I couldn't agree with you more. I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm totally supportive of uh, bringing the Commonwealth Games back. <clears throat> the, uh, the ones that we're shooting for is actually 2030, which would be the 100th anniversary of the Empire Loyalist Games that was uh, started right here in Hamilton. Uh, it was the beginning of uh, Jimmy Thompson Pool and Iverwind Stadium, all of them built as legacy projects from the games that uh, were originated right here in Hamilton. So I think it's worth our while to pursue the uh, 2030 Commonwealth Games, and I, I know that there are a number of community members that are behind this. And uh, it is always, uh, you know, not just about the games themselves, but the, the legacy uh, investments that are made uh, that are left behind. So we now have a good collection of, uh, of facilities, quite frankly. Uh, you know, our, the new stadium obviously is built. Uh, we have McMaster uh, sports fields. What we've uh, been lacking has been an aquatic uh, facility and a multi-use uh, sports facility. So there's a number of things that could be left behind as a result of these games in 2030 that uh, would be the, the main reason that you would uh, pursue them in the first place. Obviously, promoting uh, sports is always a good thing. And, uh, you know, having our youth involved, engaged, and having an opportunity to participate in these games is always a a, a great aspiration for them. But uh, the legacy projects and the facilities that leave behind is really where the great benefit is for any municipality. So I'm I'm fully supportive of going after it. You know, the the upfront dollars is always a little daunting. We have a group that uh, has committed to... Uh, getting us through the bid process and picking up the cost, which uh, I think is brilliant. And so, uh, you know, initially it's not going to cost the city anything, but ultimately I think the legacy projects would be very, very worthwhile. So, John, I couldn't agree with you more. Council's going to have to make a decision on this pretty soon, though. Yeah, I think so. And I think, uh, you know, for what we're hearing is that, uh, you know, Canada and, and Hamilton are in great shape because of the 100th anniversary issue. Uh, there's a there's a kind of a uh, you know a warm feeling about uh, bringing it back to its origins. I think that's uh, that's a very positive step, and so um, I'm uh, I'm really optimistic that uh, we we've got the lead in terms of winning the bid. And uh, if we do, I think uh, participation from our federal and provincial partners is going to be important. Uh, they've always supported these kind of national uh, great games uh, that uh, provide legacy dollars and economic development for any community that participates them in, in, in them. So the kind of things that we're seeing with, uh, with the Golf Canada right now and the amount of people coming in and the economic spinoff, uh, all of that uh, and then some actually happens when these great uh, athletic games happen. And history, as you mentioned, uh, the 100th anniversary of these, uh, it started, the British Empire Games started in Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you talk about legacy projects. As you mentioned, uh, Civic Stadium, as it was called back in those days, mm-hmm. was built for those games mm-hmm. and that lasted until just a couple of years ago. Jimmy Thompson Pool is still there. Yep. Uh, it's had a few makeovers, obviously, over the years, but, but that was built for those games as well. So the, 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 these are enduring 
uh, legacy projects. And I mean, it, the infrastructure stays behind after the games. And and I know that uh, actually, you know what? I was talking to our, our good friend Greg Baycheck, yes. uh, who worked for the city for like a thousand years. Yeah, Greg. Greg just retired. <laughs> yeah, but he was instrumental, of course, in the Commonwealth bids and so many other bids. And still very much involved. Oh yeah, yeah. He's still he's volunteering now yeah. uh, to get all these things done. We had a long talk at uh, at the uh, the Forge game uh, a couple of weeks ago down right. at Tim Hortons Field. And uh, he was explaining exactly what was going on. And he traveled around the world and saw where the games had been before. Uh, and there are some great examples of some of these legacy projects and housing, too, because mm-hmm. obviously they have to house the athletes. They have to build accommodation for those. Uh, that's affordable housing, and that's something that the city's made a long commitment to, but this could be a, a real enhancement to it. Yeah, and you know what? The, the, there's always that worry that, uh, you know, previous uh, games and Olympic events have cost so many billions of dollars, and, you know, some of them are done the right way and some of them are done the wrong way. Uh, if we do it the right way, then we will we will have long enduring benefit both on the, on the sports facility side, on the housing side, uh, you know, on on growing the the hotel capacity. I mean, all of that really starts to feed on itself if we're if we're able to focus the kind of legacy benefits that we need as a community. And housing is certainly is a key aspect of that. And so if you create an athlete's village, you want to make sure that that village is going to be affordable, uh, usable, uh, structural housing uh, after the games are finished. And or be able to utilize some of the existing facilities like McMaster and Mohawk that uh, that currently have facilities available to us. So I think, uh, I think when we look at the entire package, we've got most of the resources we need. There are a couple of legacy benefits like the Aquatic Center and others that uh, that we could use as uh, as future assets in our community, and uh, beyond that, I think we're well poised to to be successful in this. Nine zero five six four five thirty two twenty one star nine nine hundred. Your questions, uh, comments. Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger here on the Bill Kelly Show at nine hundred CHML. Diane, welcome to the program. How are you today? Oh, not too bad, Bill. Good. I haven't Good. talked to you for quite a while. Good to have you back on the show. Go ahead for the mayor. Good morning, Diane. Good morning, uh, Mr. Mayor. I I like to say about the city water. There's nothing wrong with the city water, mm-hmm. except the chemicals. Except so, for so the chemicals. Pe- pe- so to get way, uh, rid of those plastic bottles, yep. I bought Berta. Uh, it's called Berta Water System. Right. And uh, has a filter inside there, and all I use is the city tap water, and it gets rid of the chemicals out of the water. And the, that's what the people should be using. Right. So, so uh, uh, Diane, not a bad thought. Uh, I mean, it's not, you know, it, it, as, as our water testing regime uh, tells us on a regular basis, the water is uh, great the way it is, but it does have uh, chlorine in it. So if there's a concern right. around chlorine, then uh, there, there are ways of just letting water stand, and a, and a Brita filter is not a bad idea. But even if you let the water stand uh, on its own in a container, uh, the chlorine will dissipate over time, and you'll have as pure a water as you can get. I would say far better and and more secure, and you know where it's coming from, than uh, the, the water supply you get in water bottles that can come from a whole range of sources and sits in these containers for in an inordinate amount of time. You don't know how long. And so the potential for contamination is actually much greater with that supply. So... I, you know, I, I think you're you're making the right choice, uh, Diane. I think we encourage others to think about how they're consuming uh, their water as well, because those single-use plastic bottles are the biggest problem we have. Massive amounts of those coming to us, and nowhere to recycle them, so they end up in landfill, and they could be their plastics, uh, you know, for hundreds of years. And uh, it's just not something you want to have in your environment. 
Uh, good, uh, good call, good question, good answer, and uh, obviously environmentally conscious was just what Morris have to be, I guess, when mm-hmm. we start looking at these sorts of things and the, and the ramifications of. Well, the, but the, you know, the, the power of the consumer, uh, we should never, never underestimate. So people have individual, so, so people ask, what can I do? Uh, these are things that you can do on your everyday life. Make a make a choice to not use uh, you know single use plastics and uh, you know use use containers that you can reuse o- over and over and over again, or you know go to go to hard uh, surface uh, plates. Uh, you know don't use plastic or styrofoam plates. Just go to regular plates and you know spend a little couple of cents on doing the dishes. I want to get your read on something else. We'll go to your calls and uh, uh, emails in just a couple of minutes here. Uh, 905-645-3221, star 9900. Uh, meanwhile, back at the office uh, down at City Hall right now, the Planning and uh, Economic Development Committee is mm-hmm. meeting. One of the things on the agenda that they're going to be talking about is a, a provincial omnibus bill that's uh, coming up. Uh, it's Bill 108, and uh, it's uh, it's it's kind of a double whammy. I mean, we already found out a few weeks ago, and you and I talked about this, I think, the last time you were in here, mm-hmm. uh, about uh, changing uh, the, the the basically the, the planning tribunal of the province back to the OMB rules, which is not good news for communities. Mm-hmm. I know you and, uh, and Mayor Ward from, uh, Mayor Ann Mead Ward from Burlington have already raised some concerns about this. Yep. But the second part of this is uh, this omnibus bill, which essentially means that individual developers can now make application to to build beyond the urban boundary uh and they won't they basically can do an end run around city council by doing this by simply going right to the province even if you say no they can go to this tribunal and get permission to do that uh this this is now i i, I don't want to paint everybody in the development community with the, uh, the same brush and say these guys are all evil because they're not mm-hmm. and 99.9 percent of developers do work with communities uh, to, to try to do what they need to do and, and within the city's confines i get that but this is going to give out license to, to some of those rogue people and some of those irresponsible developers to basically do an end run. This is urban sprawl written all over it. Totally, and uh, it, it's short-sighted. Uh, it is totally contrary to where most municipalities need to go, which is to try and contain their costs by, by being more sustainable and having a more intense kind of development model. So drawing a firm line around the urban boundary is one way of doing that. Uh, the, if the province opens that up, that uh, that really t- takes that whole sustainability uh, issue off the table, and so I'm uh, you know we're we're railing against this uh, this proposal that also messes with development charges, which is a yeah. significant part of uh, the resources we need to actually continue to provide the roads and all the other services that we provide when development does come. Uh, development charges actually covers off those costs, and if they uh, start meddling with that or start reducing that arbitrarily. Uh, that certainly is a benefit to developers, but it's a total negative for municipalities because that's part of our revenue stream to be able to afford all of that. So, I, you know, I, I, what I see is an ideology coming from this provincial government that is totally contrary to where, you know, certainly municipalities need to go and have been going. And I, I can rest, you can rest assured that uh, all municipalities across the province are going to be very, very worried about this uh, this development and going to be standing against it. Now, we've, we've had some success in recent weeks. With uh, this this current government, uh, we are pushing back on the public health uh, issues and the ambulatory uh, and the ambulance c- uh, cutbacks, all the cutbacks that they were proposing in year, and they've uh, they've taken a step back and uh, decided to do some consulting, which is a wise thing for them to do, mm-hmm. and they should be doing exactly the same on this. So what we see from this government is that they they, they throw out some. Actually, there's a great quote in the paper, and I'll I'll. I'll just, just use it. Uh, you know, when you're when you're doing carpentry, you, you measure twice and cut once. Uh, what they're doing is they're cutting once and then measuring what the what the impact is going to be, and that's just 
totally backwards mm-hmm. and uh, nothing but a recipe for disaster and, and counterintuitive to where we need to go to make sure that we provide efficient cities and the resources to be able to develop them. So I'm, uh, we're going to be, I think, uh, mightily opposed to Bill 108. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of elements in, the, in Bill 108, including, you know, reductions in, uh, in uh, water controls and uh, some of the, you know, the protections that have been built in since uh, Walkerton, and they're pulling back on some of those issues, all under the guise of, uh, you know, opening up business in the, in the, the province of Ontario. Now, I'm all for that, but you also have to continue to protect our environment and the sustainability of our communities and, and, and our green fields and farmlands. And so uh, opening it up beyond the urban boundary really throws that all out the window, and I just can't can't support that at all. Well, and uh, we had this debate. Uh, when I was first on council, this was back in the late 1990s when you and I were serving together on Hamilton City Council, mm-hmm. and uh, there were s- some developers that wanted to, to do some expansion out in Binbrook. And, of course, they have some su- subsequent to that, and it's, it's wonderful. It's a great community. Right. But be- we basically said, yeah, but you're going to pay for it. Right. Exactly. Uh, you want the water up there? You're going to pay for it. Uh, because once the houses are built, once the subdivision is done, as, as what this legislation is suggesting, uh, we, the taxpayers, are on the hook for servicing it. Uh, you know, we have to clean the snow off the streets, to cut the grass, to do exactly. this, to do that, policing, fire costs. That's all on Hamilton taxpayers. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's irresponsible for the provincial government to simply say, yeah, they can do that. Then the developer walks away and leaves us with the bill. Exactly right. And, uh, you know, and, and that, I mean, that's a prime example. The Bimbrook development, the Waterdown development is kind of in the same boat, yeah, though, yeah. where we said we don't have the capacity in terms of the sewer system to be able to allow for this development. But if you, developer, want to pay to put that in and then make sure that you are charging the kind of development charges that uh, will, will raise enough dollars to provide all the services that are they're going to come with development, then we're, we're okay with you moving ahead. And that's what happened in Bimbrook. Uh, I was chair of the environmental services at the time, and yep. we had a hard conversation with a developer who uh, didn't want to bump up the development charge, did, thought it was unfair relative to others. Well, so so if you want this development, you're going to have to pay the full cost of what that development actually brings. And it's been a great development, and I think, uh, you know, it's uh, it's actually worked well. Waterdown is booming, and the uh, same scenario has applied there. Uh, we ought to have that uh, that that kind of development charge application on all all development that we do so that we uh, don't end up burdening the taxpayers with the costs that they should not have to bear. Now, ultimately, it goes to the consumer. People that buy houses pay the development charges. It's built into the pricing. But the reality is it's the kind of dollars that we're going to need. If we don't get it, then uh, tax increases are going to have to happen to be able to provide all the great services that you talked about, snow clearing, uh, the roads, the sidewalks, uh, you know, the tree cutting and the tree trimming and the maintenance and everything that comes with it all comes through development charges ultimately at the end of the day and and then regular tax dollars in terms of operations. So let's keep cities sustainable. Let's not let's not put handcuffs on municipalities. And and what I see happening from the province right now is this is classic downloading. It is is driving the cost down to the lowest level. They don't have to do a tax increase. They're going to force municipalities to do that work and I think that's a very unfortunate approach. On that point and you touched on this a while ago that they seem to have walked back from this idea about downloading some of the costs. Uh, it's really a stay of execution. They haven't said they're not going to do it. They simply said, we're going to give you guys more time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but city council is still going to be under the gun here to make some very difficult decisions. Yeah, potentially. And, uh, you know, they've offered dollars to uh, to do an audit. Uh, you know, what, uh, what I've said, and, and we'll remind the province that uh, we have an auditor general of the city of Hamilton has been auditing all of our all of our processes for, uh, you know, the better part of a decade now. Value for money audits. Uh, I find it interesting when the province is actually going to get an independent auditor to come in, and we may or may not decide to do that. I think that comes to council on Wednesday. Uh, 
how are they going to make value judgments on the services that we provide? So we, they can come in and say, and we, we already know and believe that we're providing those services at, at or below, you know, the comparative cost, uh, you know, across the province. How are they going to make a value judgment on our offering a senior's golden age pass uh, for, for bus use? Or how are they going to make a determination as to, you know, the housing supports that we provide? Are they, are they the efficiencies that they're trying to knock out? Or are they really looking at, are we, are we creating value for money in terms of the investments we make in our community? I don't know how they're going to have a value judgment through that process. Uh, four cents on the dollar for the city of Hamilton could mean something like $80 million. Now, can you imagine? Can you imagine cutting eighty million dollars out of our budget? Uh, you know, a two and a half billion dollar budget, forty uh, percent of it uh, provincially mandated projects. So it's something that they're asking us to do on their behalf, and uh, and and we need to fund it. Uh, and sixty uh, percent is uh, you know the, uh, the 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 budget that's operational for the city of Hamilton. We have some control over. So I I think they're they're setting up a very complex, difficult process, and they're really looking for municipalities to save uh, their 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 deficit issues. Well, and therein lies the problem. But I mean, look at what they have done themselves. Uh, in the in the you know the interest of what they call you know budget cutting, mm-hmm. uh, they've reduced uh, the you know tree planting. They're not doing that anymore. The water quality issue has been tossed out the window right now. It, it it's not the quality of of, the, of what they're servicing anymore. It's just simply the cost. And if all you're going to look at is the bottom line, uh, we're going to have problems here. Not just Hamilton, but every other city. Well, and you know, and and the, the sense you get is, uh, you know, the same kind of struggle we had when uh, when Mr. Harris was in government, and I, I give him full credit. He uh, he had a common sense revolution plan. He spelled out what uh, what they intended to do. Uh, you know, some hundred recommendations that they were going to go after. And uh, he got elected and actually set out to do them. And I, you know, I, I fully respect that. I think they uh, they said they said uh, they 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 got a mandate from the people. The people said, yeah, we we like where you're going, and off we go. But the legacy of that. A lot of cutbacks, a lot of reductions in uh, in service delivery, a lot of reductions in costs and programs that they thought weren't uh, weren't viable, and it's taken us the better part of twenty years to recover from that to be able to get it back up to I think a program level that I think the the community accepts and would uh, would like to see. I suspect the same thing is going to happen here. That if those cutbacks actually come into play, uh, they're going to there's going to have to be a recovery time, and s- at some point we uh, will swing back to I think what what is in my view. Uh, service levels that are acceptable in our community. Um, there's so so there's a there's a swing, and you know you and I have been around long enough that uh, you know there's a there's a kind of a, 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 a resurgence of investment, and, and then there's a pullback, and then there's a resurgence of investment, mm-hmm. and then there's a pullback. In the grand scheme of things, uh, you know we'll all survive. Uh, whether or not we're we're going to be as successful as we could be, that's an open question based on where these cuts are going. But we're going to continue to work with the province. Uh, hoping that they will consult with us because we're, we're partners in, in delivering services in our community. So why not sit at the table and have a conversation before you make some decisions around what you're going to reduce or cut? And then we can be allies on, on these. I mean, we're all looking for efficiencies. Same taxpayer, uh, you know, the, the more efficiencies we can create, the better off we are. We have been doing it in the city 
since you were elected. Uh, yeah. You know, we, we're, we've been hammering away at efficiencies and cost reductions and all the things that people would want us to do and be using some of those to, uh, to do infrastructure work, which we're al- already in a deficit on. So if there's more to do, we'll find it. But uh, right now, I'm not sure that uh, the province has a, a good process going forward. Hamilton Mayor Fred Eisenberger, we're right out of time. Thanks so much oh. for this today. Yes, We'll terrific. do this again in just a couple it, of it weeks. It always goes so fast. It does. Yeah. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Some good news for uh, the steel industry uh, here in Canada, specifically, obviously, here in the Hamilton area, uh, because of the impact it has on our local economy. Uh, The Canadian government has introduced a notice of ways and means motion to help protect Canada's steelmakers. Bob Bertina is the Liberal MP for Hamilton East Stony Creek and a member, of course, of the Steel Committee up on Parliament Hill. He joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about this. Good morning, Bob. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, and uh, I've got an important... uh speech to make in the House today because uh, we call them our SO31s, our our brief commentaries. And we have uh, a very distinguished uh, pair of uh, donors in Hamilton whom I'm going to celebrate in Parliament and put their their names officially and their deed uh, in in Hansard. And I'm, of course, talking about Charles and Margaret Jurevinsky. But uh, let's move on to uh, the topic of the day. Well, that's no good. I'm glad you're going to do that. We had Charlie on the show last week uh, after he had made the announcement about yeah. that legacy fund, and that's that's great news for the city and uh, and very typical of Charlie and Margaret. I mean, they're wonderful people. I'm they glad sure you're going to do that. Uh, listen, we talked about, uh, Bob, you and I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, about, uh, first of all, the tariff situation, and that finally yeah. has been resolved, and that's good news. Uh, this is kind of a companion piece to this, isn't it? Yes, it is, because you remember there was uh, some concern when CITT said that uh, there was no uh, substantiation for continuing with five of the seven safeguards, and so five were removed, uh, and there was concern on many sides. And what happened at that time was, and you'll recall this too, that Finance Minister Morrow said we'll take a a 30-day consultation period which is uh, actually a little less than 30 days ago. But uh, we've been talking with uh, all of the uh, stakeholders on, remember the issue was, well, if we can't do this, is there something else we can do that will have the same effect? So this is the the answer to uh, the safeguard problem that was created when CITT said you can't have the the five on there. But what we've done is we've been able to circumvent a, a two-year wait to reimpose those safeguards. We haven't done it yet because we've got to get a unanimous vote in, in the House for that. But uh, the fact is that uh, Finance Minister Morrow has come up with a solution that if suddenly uh, we're being dumped upon by China and other steelmakers in view of the lifting of the tariffs, that we can very quickly reestablish those safeguards that we had to lift uh, about a month ago. Yeah, I, I was kind of intrigued by that as I got uh, some of the background on this, that, that there were tools in place, and I think you'd mentioned that in one of our earlier conversations, but there's only a time limit, I mean, which seemed kind of odd because, uh, you know, the offending country, be it China or anybody else, could just, you know, say, okay, well, we'll do it after the period's over and we can do this, and they got, these guys can't do anything about it. It, w- it was really a loophole in, in, in the, the rule that's put in place here, and uh, and I'm glad that the finance ministers find a way to get around this because there has always been a concern about dumping of foreign steel at cheap prices. Uh, and they want to get into the Canadian market, but more importantly, they want to get into the American market, and they can do that through Canada, it, or so they think anyway. But this is going to make it a, a lot more difficult for that to happen. 
It is, because we'll be able to react very quickly. Of course, we have to monitor the situation. Uh, that's the issue to see that, you know, there's a boat right now unloading uh, one of the products, uh, tubu- energy tubular products coming from, you know, Romania or someplace. Uh, and all of a sudden there's a surge in that, and we've got to wait two years before we can respond to it. Well, that, that could put a company out of business in Canada because of the, the time lag. So what we're able to do is very quickly, upon determination that uh, they're playing these games and dumping steel in here, that we can uh, quickly uh, impose the safeguards again, and, and those safeguards would last for 200 days. And that would enable us to respond quickly. There's another issue, too, Bill, that I I think it's worth uh, mentioning, is that when Trump imposed the or threatened the tariffs on Mexico, uh, the world realizes that nothing seems to be written in stone. And so we have to have a lot of uh, tools at our disposal to react very quickly to a, a scene that may change quickly. And so that's what what we're doing right now. And we're we're hoping and assuming that we will get unanimous approval uh, to do this is, because that's what re- is required. What, you mentioned the monitoring. Let's, let's talk yeah. a little bit about that. How effective is the monitoring? Because you're right, Bob. I mean, you've got to have eyes uh, on all of this stuff. Uh, obviously, in ports of entry, uh, Vancouver, I guess, especially if you're going to be talking about stuff that's going to come from uh, the continent of Asia. Uh, and and uh, obviously, the India steel market is another area that has to be a, a concern at this stage, too. Uh, is, is there a concern here that maybe you need to beef up that, that, that sort of uh, oversight that, that has to be part of this process? Yes, and uh, it's it's been a le- very long-standing condition because uh, when I was a boy at home and reading the DeFasco flashes where my dad worked, uh, Frank Sherman in those days, in the 50s, was talking about dumping as a problem. And uh, it, it may seem funny to people, how can you have you know several hundred tons of steel on a ship to sneak in? But there's a lot of ships, a lot of ports, a lot of ways for things to move. And so, for instance, uh, the president of Stelco told us that uh, he got an inquiry from Turkey about uh, that nice dock that you got there in Hamilton, and uh, would you be willing to lease out some space for us so that they could unload steel? And then very quickly that steel ends up in a, in a middleman, in a broker's pile, and uh, maybe it's sprayed with something or painted with something to suddenly make it Canadian steel, and then it's in the marketplace. So we do have to, and in fairness to the United States, uh, we have to respond to their concern that, yeah, uh, we don't put these tariffs on. You guys let all this cheap steel in, and here we go again. So uh, we we have to do a better job at it, that's for sure. Let's talk about this. I know you're well-heeled about the steel industry and, and the impact that it has. Yeah. And, and there are some people that are going to say, come on, it's a free market. I mean, if you can get cheaper steel from China, go ahead. Uh, but yeah. th- it's, in a, it's a matter of undercutting this industry, which, as you mentioned, is going to make it problematic for steelmakers here. But there's also, as, as I found out, uh, there are concerns about quality from steel from other markets as well. Yeah, we had a, a steel purchase in uh, British Columbia for, I, I think it was a bridge, and they assembled, I believe the steel originated in Korea, and upon assembling the bridge, they found out it did, did not match the specs that were promised, and they had to take the whole thing down again. It, it is a real concern. And then you can add to it 
I think that most of us would agree climate change is a huge issue right now. That's very dirty steel uh, for so many reasons, because, uh, for instance, if you look at China, the, the ore, the coal, uh, all has to travel a long way. So there's a, there's a cost uh, and a uh, greenhouse gas cost in terms of that. And then there's these very old, inefficient uh, plants that they have there with, you know, the uh, poor safety regulations for the workers and all of that, but just dealing with greenhouse gases. It's probably in the something like 10 times the amount of greenhouse gases. So somebody's going to say, well, that DeFasco and that Stelco, uh, they're large emitters. Yes, but they don't they pale in comparison to the emissions from these dumping companies because they're coming from third world kind of situations where they don't have the controls on GHG. And, you know, I know DeFasco is spending hundreds of millions of dollars to make clean, efficient uh, 21st century operation. And we shouldn't be stressing, you know, their ability to make steel because we've got to get steel from somewhere. If we don't get it from there, we're going to get it from a very high environmentally polluting uh, origin. And and quality means something. I mean, uh-huh. as as I've talked yeah. to people in the construction industry, they have told me that uh, one of the reasons yeah. that the steel in some of these markets is cheaper is because they don't make it as well. Uh, and as you mentioned, uh, you know, the, the, you're talking about possibly infrastructure falling apart. I mean, we saw that a couple of years ago with a, a an unfortunate rash of, of of bridges falling apart and things of this nature. That comes down to the material that you use to build these things. Yes, it's it's exactly right. And the the sad part of it is it. Maybe if you're putting up a bridge, it'll look okay for five or ten years. But in the 15th year, it might collapse. And, you know, the Romans built aqueducts that are 2,000 years old still standing because they did it right with the right materials. And we've got to ensure that in this day and age because there, there's a lot of uh, poor quality out there. If the bottom line is, is strictly the dollar figure, we're all going to get hurt. And who knows, maybe that was an issue with the, the infamous pavement on the Red Hill. Was there a cost-saving issue there? So it's, it's, it's so important. And the, the steps that we're taking today, I'm, I'm very proud of this because we said, look, CITT, the, the Trade Tribunal, has given us this re- answer. So how can we deal with the reality. That's what they said. We're not going to go against them. And this is what we've come up with. So uh, that shows you that, you know, the finance minister Morrow has had his ear to the ground. And we've all been talking with with all of our counterparts. They've been in Ottawa numerous times. And so everyone from uh, steelworkers unions on up are on target with this. And I assume uh, later today or, or certainly with this week, Bill, we'll see uh, unanimous consent to move forward with this uh, with this proposal. Now, this is working within the rules. I mean, this is an, uh, an interesting twist on this. Uh, the World Trade Organization, uh, who obviously oversees what goes on on the international yeah. uh, trade, uh, they're, they're on side with this, are they? Yes, they are. Uh, but we wanted to stay on side with the WTO with regard to the Canadian, with our tariff tribunal, because that was the issue uh, that the WTO supported our trade tribunal, and we were being asked to go against our trade tribunal. So that would have created a problem. This way, we keep everybody happy, but we still have that able to quickly respond to sudden dumping. What we, you know, we refer to the word we're using as surge. 
The other point, though, that needs to be uh, understood is that there could be a surge as well, and this is, gets part of the complication, of just increased uh, business. That uh, all of a sudden, for instance, a Canadian company might be selling a lot more steel uh, if uh, the Americans come through with their infrastructure plan, you know, the trillion or so that the, they sort of want to get through the house in the United States. Well, if that happens, they'll need steel from all over the place, including Canada. So there will be a, a surge, which will have to be quickly analyzed to say, no, this isn't dumping from uh, the third world. This is real activity that uh, everybody is benefiting from. Well, and and which is why the, the the oversight that we talked about is going to be so important because if somebody does raise that question and say, "Are you sure this isn't from China?" Uh, if you've got documentation, so uh, uh-uh, no, that was that was made right here in Hamilton or Sault Ste. Marie or right. whatever it's going to be, uh, that exactly. would that would ease that. So uh, the other element, I guess, here is timing, Bob, because uh, uh, I know you want to get this done. You, as you mentioned, you need unanimous consent, yeah. which I hope you're going to yeah. get in the Commons. Uh, but yeah. you, you guys have only got a few more days before you have to break for the summer. And uh, is there a, a concern here that you? Can't can't get this done, or will you get this done before the summer break? Well, I, I can't see why it wouldn't be, but we've always got the option of coming back. I mean, before the writs dropped, uh, stranger things have happened, you know, and we could all end up uh, on August the 3rd and back in Ottawa uh, during an Ottawa summer heat wave to uh, to do this. So we we, we have that ability uh, to extend the, the house sitting. But I'm pretty sure uh, I, I'd be shocked if somebody voted against it. Well, I mean, this uh, it, it, things have happened. Yeah, I mean, it is a bill, which means it has to go first, second, third reading, etc. But you can you can do that within a day, really. You can really kind of rush that process, can't you? Yes, uh, you we can. But this is my first ways and means, so I'm not going to cite uh, paragraph and line on on it. Uh, we just got a briefing this morning, and so uh, before uh, question period today. Uh, I'll have uh, I'll be able to report exactly on how the ways and means issues uh, are are speedily dealt with because it's intended to be a, a fast responding um, the way that Parliament can respond quickly to issues so we we should be able to get it done in short order. Well, I know the uh, obviously the industry and the unions are on side with this too, so the sooner the better, I guess, as far as everybody's concerned. Well, I'm looking at my clock right now, and it says vote call 11.55, so it, maybe that's the one. Hope I so. get over there. Hope so. We'll be watching. <laughs> Bob, thanks for the time today. Great. Thanks so much, That's uh, Hamilton East Stony Creek MP uh, Bob Rutina uh, with some good news for the steel industry, which obviously is good news for the Hamilton economy. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.